All right, everybody. Listen, if you guys can go ahead and uh, find your seats, that would be awesome. That would be amazing. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Wow, well, man, it's, I'm glad to see you guys. I'm glad to see you guys. You guys look happy. I see a lot of smiling faces. I see a lot of people talking with one another. Um, I had someone come up to me and said, I don't know what my what the best Christmas gift is. I, I think it's coming in the future. All right, so there you go. It's a gift that is still to come, evidently. Um, well, listen, have any of you guys attended the Gospel According to Scrooge yet? Have you? Did you like it? Yeah. Yeah, man, it should be something. It should be something you're proud of. Um, whether you're in it, which I'm super thankful for those of you that uh, participated in it and all the hours that you gave uh, to make this presentation possible uh, so that we can communicate the gospel in a really clear way, but in a creative way. And I want to thank you for uh, pouring that, that time in. I also want to thank many of you that invited friends and coworkers and family members to come out. Uh, that, that's been amazing. Some of you have come up to me and you just kind of shared about some of your friends that you've invited and that they've come. And, you know, I can see the glow on your face. And uh, I just want to let you know that's part of what Christmas is all about is sharing the real meaning of the season, Christ. Right? And by inviting a friend to this outreach, this is not just a drama. Uh, if it was just a drama, we could hold it down at some kind of a theater place. Uh, this is an outreach for us. This is an opportunity for us to let people know the good news of Jesus. So thank you for you that have done those things. Um, you have one more opportunity to be involved, and that's tonight at 6. So don't, uh, don't miss that opportunity. Uh, you know, as I've been watching this, I, I've watched it a number of times now this week, and it, I just, it doesn't get old. It's one of those interesting things where there's so many lines and so many different transitions, there's always something that doesn't quite go right. And so you get those funny little moments. And then, then as you're sitting there watching it for the third or the fourth time, you're kind of hoping for those funny moments to happen again. And uh, they've not let me down. Uh, there have... There have been some good little, good little funny moments, but it's reminded me of some of my past uh, in watching the Christmas Carol, uh, and I was reminded of a couple of my most favorite um, uh, Christmas Carol presentations. First off was Mickey's Christmas Carol. Um, yeah, I don't know it with uh, you know with Scrooge McDuck. Um, I don't know that that never really gets old. Hearing his voice as Scrooge, um, it kind of warms your heart. Um, so, and then another one would be like the Muppets Christmas Carol, right? With, um, with Michael Caine and, uh, as Scrooge and Kermit the Frog as, uh, Bob Cratchit. I mean, come on. You know, I probably, I probably cried at that when I was a kid. This is, this is, this is good, this is good television right here. I mean, what in the world? You guys are looking at this as if you've never seen it before. Um, it's old. It's just old. But I do have to honestly say this. That after watching the presentation of the gospel according to Scrooge, um, I'm going to change my official which one is best. And I'm changing the best Scrooge, the best Scrooge to our very own Joe Risk. Yeah. Very own Joe Risk. I mean, look at this guy. Man, he's just, he's just been doing great. Been doing great. And our very own gospel according to Scrooge. So if you haven't seen it, you gotta bring a friend, you gotta be here. Uh, it was kind, it was kind of funny though. Last week I was, uh, worshiping down in the, down in the gym venue. Uh, it was a lot of fun being down there. I had not been able to spend an entire Sunday, uh, down there, but, uh, when I was down there, it was just a blast. Josh, uh, was leading, Josh Niemeyer is one of our worship leaders. He was leading down there, and uh, in in the set of worship songs, um, up, came, up came the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. 
Yes, I'm sure it's familiar to all of you, right? Um, Come thou fount of every blessing. Um, not super familiar to me. Um, I, I was just a little kid. I slept through most of the hymn singing at church. So I, uh, I missed a lot of that. But we got to a line in it, and it kind of it caught my attention. And the line, the line says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And I, in the middle of worship, couldn't help but seeing myself raising up Joe Risk, Ebenezer Scrooge. And that just really interrupted my worship that day. Um, so I just want to talk to Joe about that a little bit. Uh, but that's, that's not what the hymn meant. The hymn wasn't saying, raise up your Ebenezer Scrooge. When it said, raise up your Ebenezer. That's not what it was talking about. It was talking about something completely different. And to help you today capture the true spirit of Christmas, Christ in Christmas, I want to take us back and really focus on the word today, Ebenezer. That's where I want us to land. What is the true meaning of the word Ebenezer? You might find it interesting to discover that the word Ebenezer is found in the Bible. It's found in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, if you have a Bible, you can flip it open to 1 Samuel chapter 4. If you have your smartphone device, please go to our Version app. You can access all the scriptures there, and that way you can just kind of stroll along with me. One of the bonuses of using our Version app um, and finding all the scriptures is that you get to go home with those, and they stay with you for the rest of the week as we leave it posted online all the way through Friday. And that's beneficial because I know how God speaks sometimes, and on Wednesday, God will speak to you. And uh, you're going to want to go back and look at a scripture that maybe we talked about. And you'll have it right there with you. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, I just want to kind of tell you a story. A story that leads up to the true meaning of the word Ebenezer. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, just follow with me. All right? Um, we jump into the story by just br- briefly just kind of highlighting the fact that Israel was at war with one of its arch emesis. The, 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 um, the Philistines, almost called the Philippians. Um, my bad. I'm sorry for those of you that are watching us in the Philippines. Um, the, the Philistines. Now, the Philistines, you, this will just help, help you know who these people were really quick. All right. Jump ahead uh, a number of, of chapters and you're going to find a story that's familiar to a lot of people. David and Goliath, right? And Goliath was a Philistine. So the Philistines have, these guys have been at war with Israel um, over and over, the Israelites, over and over from generation to generation. And uh, it, they've just been, you know, uh, really at each other's neck. Well, the Israelites uh, found themselves at this moment in chapter 4 being attacked by the Philistines. The Philistines attacked them and they killed 4,000 of their, of their men in the army. So the, the, the Israelites, they, they flee and they run back. They run back to their camp and uh, they begin to say, why would the Lord allow this to happen to us? Why would he allow this harm to come our way? And so they decide what we're going to do is we're going to get the ark. Now, the ark is the, is the element that God said to Moses, build this. This is where my presence is going to dwell. Um, keep this in the holy of holies. The Israelites said to themselves, let's get the ark and let's bring it. Because if we take the ark into battle, we will surely win. Partly true. (laughs) It's not just about bringing the ark. God was more interested in the heart. In the heart, it wasn't right. So as we go on through through the story, um, we see that the the Israelites they get the ark and they and as the ark comes to the battlefield, 
The Israelite army sees the ark coming. They're so excited that they begin to cheer so loudly that it actually says that the ground shakes. There's an earthquake that happens. And the Philistines, they feel the earth shaking. They hear the voice of the Israelites, you know, yelling out. And they begin to, they begin to wonder what in the world is going on. And as they start to ask the question, what's going on, they find out that the ark has come. Now, to the Philistines, the ark is just a small g, small g God, not a big g God like the ark would be in God's presence to the Israelites. So they say, wow, well, man, the Israelites have brought their gods. We've never faced anyone as powerful as this. We've never faced anything like this. This is, this is crazy. This is the same God that, uh, you know, attacked Egypt and a Pharaoh and set them free and put all those plagues on them. Now, what are we going to do? We've never faced anything like this. We're going to have to really up our game. And so they said, let's up our game and let's go attack them. Let's give them everything that we have. And so they just invested all of their energy and their effort and they just poured their souls into this and they basically marched onto the battlefield ready to give their lives. When they get onto the battlefield, not knowing what to expect, just knowing something's powerful out there, they end up defeating the Israelites. The Israelites have brought the ark, God's presence with them. And now they're defeated. And in fact, 30,000 of the army of Israel was killed that day. Well, not only were they killed, but the ark, the ark was stolen from them. It was taken into enemy territory. A few other things happened in the story. But after the Philistines captured the ark in chapter 5, after they, after they captured it, they took it to a town called Ashdod. And they carried the ark of God into the temple of Dagon. That was their God. And they placed it beside the idol of Dagon. Now, listen to this. This is awesome. So they take the presence of God and they sit it right next to their own God in their temple. And everybody goes home to go to sleep. They come back the next day only to find that Dagon, their God, has fallen face down on the ground in front of the ark. No one even questions it. They just take it, they stand it back up, right next to the ark, the presence of God. They come back the next day. The god Dagon has fallen, this idol has fallen, this time he's fallen on his face, his head has been knocked off, and his hands have been knocked off, basically, you know, rendering rendering him useless. Well, while that is happening, some other things begin to take place as well. God's heavy hand, the New Living Translation says, God's heavy hand was released upon the Philistines and in this town of Ashdod. And the people started breaking out in tumors and rats started running around the town. And people started dying and getting sick and, you know, just these, uh, these plagues started hitting the people. And the people got so fed up with it that they said, this is ridiculous. And they called the leaders and they said, get this ark out of here. This thing is causing us problems. So here's what the wise Philistines did. They go, well, let's carry it from Ashdod and we'll carry it over to Gath. That's what we'll do. And so they carry it over to Gath and guess what happens? The tumors start breaking out again and the rats start running the streets again and they start being overwhelmed with the same plague all over again. So the people of Gath are like, this is ridiculous. Get this, get this thing out of our, out of our presence. We don't even know really what it is, but it's causing havoc upon us. And it scares us because we know what it did to Egypt. And we know what it did to Pharaoh. Talking about the one true God. So here's what they decide to do, these wise Philistines. Let's move it to the town of Ekron. Well, the people of Ekron decided, 
Um, as they heard that the ark was coming, tumors started breaking out in Ekron, and rats started running the streets before it ever got there. Those people, they intervened, and they met the ark before it ever showed up in their town. And they said, no way, not possible, this thing isn't coming, let's wise up here, let's send the ark back to the Israelites. Are you following me on this story? So, and send it back to the Israelites, they're going, well, okay, how do we do this? Well, you just give it back to them. What do you mean how you do this? So they decide to call their priests and their diviners to come in and take a look at the ark and tell us, how should we send this thing back? So these wise priests said, well, build a cart, all right? And we're going to take two two um, oxen or two cows and we're going to hook it to the cart and we're going to put the ark on it and then we're going to send it back to them, all right? And uh, we're just going to let the cows go. And wherever the cows go is where it ends up. And if it goes back over to Israel, then we'll know that this was the hand of God that was against us. And if it stays with us, then we'll know that it was just a happenstance. Oh, but by the way, we should probably send some kind of a, an offering. You know, an offering that would, that would, you know, over it would overcome our guilt and our shame of what we've done. So here's a grandiose idea. Why don't you guys go take a bunch of precious gold and make some idols? Yeah, in fact, make five... Make five little idols of rat, all right? Make five golden rats and stick them in a case, all right? And then also make five golden tumors. This was the best idea you've ever ran across in the Bible. Make five golden tumors and stick it in. What does a golden tumor look like anyways? I've baffled that. I've done research and there isn't any Google images that come up for golden tumors. What does a golden tumor look like? I couldn't get beyond that. It was kind of like raise my Ebenezer. So I don't know. I got... I got a little confused. So they said, put those in a case next to the ark, and we'll send that off. Well, sure enough, man, as soon as they let that thing go, it just marches straight into Israel. Israel takes the ark. They do a couple foolish things with it, but they eventually put it in a safe place. And then we find Samuel stepping up to the plate. Samuel begins to give them some instructions in chapter 7. He comes to them and he says to all the people of Israel, if you really are serious about wanting to return to the Lord, then you've got to get rid of your foreign gods. You've got to get rid of your idols. You've got to lay down this worship of these small G gods. God's not going to rescue you. And the Philistines are just going to continue to march upon you. Because now they've walked into battle without the ark and got defeated. They walked into the battle with the ark and got defeated You know, they're kind of confused. They don't know what to do. Samuel brings wise advice. He says, get your heart right with God. God's more interested in your heart. And what do the people do? The people lay down their gods. And they lay down their idols. They lay these things down and they start repenting to God. And Samuel says for them to gather at a place called Mizpah. And he goes, in there, I'll pray. So they gathered at Mizpah. Uh, in this place, and they, they did a ceremony where they worshiped God, and they confessed of their sins, and they drew water from a well, and they, they laid it down, and they fasted that day as well. And when the Philistine rulers heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army one more time, and they said to themselves, basically, this is our opportunity to take them down. And when the Israelites heard about the fact that the Philistines were coming at them one more time, they were, I mean, Fear just caught them on the inside. And they ran to Samuel and they said, Samuel, please don't stop praying. Don't stop offering sacrifices to the one true God on our behalf because the Philistines are on their way. 
And right in the middle of Samuel offering one of the sacrifices, the Philistines marched in. And as they began to march in, just as you can begin to see them coming and the fear probably stirred up in the hearts of people, God spoke in a powerful voice like thunder from heaven. And he confused the enemy. And he, and he caused them to start fleeing. And the Israelites started chasing after them. And they began to slaughter them. And this is what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11. Take a look at it. It says, The men of Israel, they chased the Philistines from Mizpah to a place below Bethkar, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jephthah. And he named it, look what he named it. What did he name it? Ebenezer, which means what? He named it Ebenezer, the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they didn't invade Israel again for some time. Ebenezer, a stone of help. That's what it means. A stone of help. A stone of help could be, in our day and age, anything that reminds you of the presence and the power of Christ. What reminds you of the presence and the power of Christ? Is it your Bible? Does that remind you? Your Bible has become an Ebenezer, a stone of help. Reminds you of the presence and the power of God? Maybe it's your spouse as you look into their eyes because they, because they love Christ even more than they love you. Maybe there's someone that helps you. Maybe it's the cross. Maybe it's when we come and we worship. But I know this, one thing is true, that God wants to create some Ebenezer's in your Christmas this year. He wants to create some stones of help to remind you so that you don't drift from Him. That you don't drift to a worldly pursuit of Christmas. That you, that you stay focused on a Christ-centered Christmas. See, that's what, that's what's happening in this whole presentation. Scrooge was taken by three angels to these stones of help. The, the angel of Christmas past. He, he was taken, remember, to the schoolhouse. And he watched as, as he was just a little kid and how they, how they prayed and how they sang songs of Christ's hope. And then you remember the moment when, you know, he wasn't going to go home for Christmas and how he got so angry that God was against him. But he missed out on the very comfort and the very moment that God was bringing at that time of his great need. God was bringing a stone of help for him. But he rejected it. Or maybe you remember the angel that brought Scrooge to Christmas present. Remember he brought him to Bob Cratchit's house. And he began to watch as this man that he didn't treat fairly, this man that he wondered, why could this man have any joy or any hope at all? And he had to watch without being able to speak a word into it. How this man who he thought, how could he have any hope? How could he have any peace? How this man had a stone of help being Christ at that season of Christmas that brought Bob Cratchit and his family so much joy. But then the angel of the future took Scrooge and he brought him to his own point of death. He showed him his own tombstone, trying to show him that tombstone as a stone of help. Try to remind him, listen, Scrooge, your life is amounting to nothing. You're making no positive impact on anyone. You're going to leave nothing behind. That makes any difference. Taking him to these moments of saying, there are stones of help to try to transform your life. Why? All, all they were trying to do was try to get his attention back on Christ. I want to say to you today, Jesus Christ is the greatest Ebenezer of God's love this Christmas. 
Now think with me. Why is it that Scrooge has the name Ebenezer Scrooge? Could it be that the entire play is an attempt to get the Scrooge out of the Ebenezer? Isn't that what God's trying to do in you today? He's trying to grab a little, a little bit of the Scrooge and pull it out so that you look a little bit more like Christ, the true stone of help this Christmas? I want to help you do that better. Today I want to help you focus on how can Christ be a true stone of help for you this Christmas. And to do that, I want to look at a passage in Titus chapter 2. I want to start in verse 11. Take a look at it with me. It says, For the grace of God has been what? Revealed, bringing salvation to all people. The grace of God has been revealed. Isn't that what Christmas is really all about? God revealing his grace? Sending his son Jesus to the earth that we might have hope and life everlasting. That's what God's doing. He's revealing grace to us. And every moment that we allow the grace of Jesus Christ to be revealed to us, we are creating Ebenezer moments. And that's the very first thing that we've got to be intentional about is creating Ebenezer moments. Or otherwise we'll be just like the Israelites in 1 Samuel chapters 4 and 5. And in those moments, they forgot about God's grace. And they turned to idols. God wasn't their salvation. They were attacked and they were defeated by all the enemies. And if we're not creating Christ as an Ebenezer moment of our lives, the, the, the pinnacle of why we even exist, then the enemy comes in and he ravages and he kills and he steals and he destroys. But we've got to make time to focus on the grace revealed through Christ this Christmas. You've got to make time to do that. It's not just going to happen by itself. You're not just going to go through the motions and get to Christmas and just go, well, I hope this is the most meaningful Christ-centered Christmas I've ever had. No, it's about creating those moments. It's about getting in there with your hands and your feet and making those things happen and solidifying those. I remember all the way back to my father. My father was creating stones of help, Ebenezer moments in my life. When as a kid, I woke up on Christmas Day, which all kids wake up way too early on Christmas Day. Amen? Amen. All right. That's, that wasn't good enough. That was your moment. Yes, they all wake up way too early. I woke up way too early. And my father would not let us open a single gift until we all sat down near the Christmas tree, near all the presents, and they would take the Bible and he would read to us the Christmas story. And guess what I did with my kids? I sat down with them before we opened all the gifts. Oh, we cheated, yes. So did my dad. You know, we got to open that one little gift on Christmas Eve. It was never the gift you really wanted to open. It was always the gift they wanted you to open, though. That's always the way it went. But that day, we stopped that day, and we focused on the real meaning of Christmas. That was creating an Ebenezer moment. That was very purposeful. I did the same thing with my children. I also remember praying with my children at, at an altar to receive Christ, making Christ a stone of help in their life. I remember that, creating those Ebenezer moments. I also remember taking all of my children went on a missions trip with me to some place when they were a teenager, taking them out on an experience. I'm going, come on, let's break out of the comfort zone. Let's get out there. Let's raise a little bit of money. Get out there, shovel the snow, rake the leaves. You know, do whatever you got to do. We got to raise this money. We're going to go out. We're going to serve in some capacity. Those were great moments of creating these stones of help, making Christ come alive for them. Even showing God's grace 
to my children when they fell flat on their face in sin. Me, just stepping up. I didn't always respond right, right off the bat. But when I finally came back to my senses by coaching from some really good friends and by seeking the heart of God, coming back and offering that grace to my, to my children, and that just meant a lot, creating those Ebenezer moments, those stones of help that they will reproduce over and over again, and they'll be able to say, God was with us at that moment. How can you do that? You can do it by giving thanks for God's grace that's revealed through Jesus today. Stopping. Stopping the busyness and the hecticness of the season. Just giving thanks for God's grace revealed to your life today through Jesus. Or taking time to share with your family and your friends on Christmas the salvation that you share or that you have with Christ. Take a moment and just go, hey, before we open up all these gifts, let's talk about this meaning of Christmas, but let's also, let's share a testimony about how you came to know Christ and what Jesus really means to you. Ultimately, creating Ebenezer moments, you can do that by revealing God's grace to others who are outside of relationship with God. I want to encourage you to do that. This Christmas, you know, next Sunday is the Sunday before Christmas. It's a great opportunity for you to invite a friend or a family member to come to church. And by doing that, you might just be helping them create an Ebenezer moment. A moment where Christ becomes a stone of help in their life. Would you go out of your way this Christmas to find a friend and to invite them? I'm telling you, the more that we bring Christ back into Christmas, the more opportunities he has to create these Ebenezer moments. And by the way, if you're here today and you're outside of a relationship with God, you're here right now and Jesus isn't your Lord and your leader, guess where it starts? It starts by you just simply saying, God, I'm a sinner, and I know that, and I've broke your law many times. I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my leader. I need to submit my life to you. I need to follow you. That's where it starts. That's the very first stone of help that he wants to bring into your life. But that's not where it ends. If you want to make Jesus the the greatest Ebenezer of God's love this Christmas, then take a look at what... uh, Titus has to say, chapter 2, verse 12. It says, and, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. What is this really saying to us? Saying to us, strive for righteous living. Notice that even though the Israelites were defeated and 4,000 died, they went and they got the ark and they thought, well, because we've got the ark, now we're surely going to defeat them. But they forgot that it wasn't just about their, it wasn't just about their action. It was about the faith and about their obedience and about their righteous living in the heart. So you can know about God, but do you really know him? You know him by the way we live our lives. That we would be known by our fruit. Or we'd be known by our actions. We'd be known by the example that we exude on this earth. And that's striving for righteous living. It's hard to make Christ your Ebenezer or your stone of help when you're not even wanting to live for him. When we're willing to overlook certain sin issues of our lives and just go, oh, well, you know, it's okay. It's not as bad as other people. It's hard to find Christ in Christmas when we're caught up in our own sinful, sinful pleasures. 
This passage of scripture, though, it was very interesting because it said, turn from godless living. And then right on the heels of that, it went right back in and it says, but, but live in this evil world. I can still remember back to when I gave my life to Jesus. You know, I was 20, 21 years old and I remember giving my life to Jesus and never in my mind, man, I just felt like transformed. Man, this is amazing. This is awesome. And God even spoke to me. But then having to wake up the next day and drive into the same workplace and look the same people in the same eyes and be tempted with some of the same temptations, even though I had just given my life to Christ and feeling like my life has been transformed. I'm, I'm a different person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to easily be able to tackle these things. But no, I had to live in the very same world that I just came out of the day before. But yet God was asking me to turn from my godless ways. I gotta admit to you, I wasn't perfect. Those first, those first few days and first few weeks and those first couple of months, man, there were some moments I just fell flat on my face. You know, and it made you just kinda wanna give up. It made you kinda wanna just go, throw in the towel! This is ridiculous! You know, I, I mean, I thought that I had changed. I thought I'd turned my heart over to God. And remember, there was a process of breaking the old Jeff Baker and letting the new Jeff Baker alive in Christ, the stone of help, Christ being my Ebenezer, to stand up and go, I'm going to stand on this promise that Jesus is more powerful than this world. I had to turn from godless living. And I had to start living in this evil world. See, that's part of striving for righteous living. You have to realize, the world we live in is evil. The world we live in is bent with a heart away from God. But God obviously has an intention for us. Because if you're here today and you have a relationship with God, isn't it interesting that you're still on the earth and God didn't just like, boom, take you to heaven. So you have a mission. He says, what I want you to do, even though you've given your life to me, is I want you to continue to turn from godless ways. I want you to strive with everything inside of you to live in this evil world, to set the example of me being the stone of help for your life. How can you do that? How can you turn from godlessness and strive for righteousness? Let's look back at that passage again. There was a few things that were in it. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is with wisdom. With wisdom. What is this wisdom that it's talking about? It's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It's the wisdom where the Holy Spirit comes to you and he convicts you of your life habits. He convicts you of your behavior. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, listen, don't ignore him. Don't turn your back to him. Don't be like Scrooge who was up in his bedroom, you know, during the play. They said, I would, I would rather not, angel. And then, you know, Marley has to stand up, you know. Don't, don't have those moments with God. Just, just when the Holy Spirit speaks, he's speaking for a reason to you. He's wanting to speak conviction to you. He's wanting to speak this word that causes you to fall in line with God's ways and with God's word more consistently in your life. So don't ignore that. There's also some other pieces here that I just want to draw. There's a lot here, but I only have really time to point to a few things. It also says we should live in this evil world with devotion to God. Devotion to God. Devotion is that attitude of, I'm all in. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give God my all. And unfortunately, there's all too many of us that came into the kingdom of God carrying our nice little suitcase of comfort. We said, we're going to come in, but we're going to carry a couple of our own pieces, God. Is that okay? And God the whole time is going, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. But yet we carry them. God's going, I want all of you. 
Lay down your fears. Lay down your intimidations. Lay down the things that, you know, you, you try to hang on to for your own comforts and your own desires. Lay those things down and go all in with me. It also means that when you fall on your face and sin, that you get back up and you keep running. Devotion means that you're never going to give up. But how else do you strive for righteousness and make Christ the Ebenezer of God's love for this Christmas season? It's with hope. While we look forward with hope. Hope to what? Hope to the fact that, you know what, this is not where life ends. This is just where we practice what it means to love God. And that we spend eternity with God in heaven. If you want to hear more about that, you're going to have to come back next week. Then we'll be talking about Christmas future. That's what I want to look at. What is Christmas like when you're no longer on this earth, but you're with God? I think it's going to be quite intriguing. Um, something that's really going to stir your heart. But we have to have hope. Live with hope that this world is not where it ends, but yet we're spending eternity with God. Lastly, making Christ the Ebenezer of God's love this Christmas ends us with Titus chapter 2, verse 14. It says that he, being Jesus, to say Jesus with me, Jesus. Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Totally committed. You're going to have to commit yourself to doing good deeds this year. Totally committed, this literally means just being zealous for, or being eager for, or just being like, I'm bent on doing good deeds. No one's going to stop me. No one can, no one can shut me down, man. I, I'm running after God with everything I have and I'm gonna, I'm intentionally going to do these good deeds. I've just got a heart that's full of this Christmas joy found in Christ and I want to share it with others. That requires a complete surrender to God. But the good news is that God is the one who's wanting to make you into that person. If you notice that passage, it literally said things like that it was God who was making us His very own people. Look who's at work doing that. Is it you who's making yourself God's very own people? Or is it God who's making you his very own people? I'm telling you, through surrender to God, God makes you his very own people. There's nothing else that you and me can do other than surrender to say yes to Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, he empowers us. He He not only just saves us, but he empowers us to do good deeds. So if you walk out of these doors and you go, well, that's it. I I know what I'm going to do this Christmas. I'm going to do good deeds. You're probably going to miss the true meaning of it. Jesus is asking for your greatest deed to be surrender and then to have a heart that's open to him and saying, how can I minister your love to others this Christmas? See, that's God's plan. That's the example that we see in Scrooge. Once Scrooge was transformed, he immediately began doing good deeds. What was one of the first good deeds Scrooge did after his life being transformed? What was one of them? He did what? He forgave debt. What was one of the other ones? He gave the maid a raise. Yes, to all maids. What else, what else did he do? He bought the turkey. Yes. He bought the turkey. He forgave debts. He bought the turkey. He goes to the Cratchit's house. He gives the maid a raise. Guess what he really starts doing? Is he really starts taking the grace that he's received and he starts sharing it in little portions with others. What does it mean to do and commit yourself 
to good deeds. Taking the grace you've received and start portioning it out to others, little piece at a time. What does that really mean? What does it mean then to commit yourself to good deeds? To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every opportunity you get. Little piece by little piece in all different types of ways, in word and in deed. So what are some simple things that you could do? I want to encourage you. Turn to somebody and just do this with me. Turn to somebody right now. Look at them, okay? Seriously, turn to somebody, look at them and just tell them this. Merry Christmas. All right? Merry Christmas. There you go. That's one way. All right? That's just one way. I want to encourage you when you're out in the community. You know, turn to somebody and tell them, Merry Christmas. Or when you leave, Merry Christmas. I know that it's not PC, politically correct anymore, but who cares? It's about doing good deeds, taking the little bit of grace that you have and sharing it with others. So you don't have to be offensive with it, all right? You don't have to, like, you know, make saliva come out of your mouth when you say Christmas or anything like that. You don't have to say it overly loud at the end of the conversation. You can just share it with love. Merry Christmas, all right? Or maybe giving someone a special gift that comes from the depth of your heart. Not just that you spent money or that there's a gift under the tree because you felt obligated to do that but something that comes from the depth of your heart, which may not cost anything. It may just be a simple letter that's written that really expresses your gratitude for them. Or if you're an employer, employers, pause for a moment, all right? Because it's not just about you. It's also about the people that you manage and that you lead. Show some gratitude to them this Christmas. It's a way that you can minister the gospel. It's a way that you can share a little bit of grace with them. What would it look like to be to share a little gratitude with them? Well, if you haven't gone by lately and put your arm around them and, you know, remind them of how thankful you are, that's where you want to start. And if they're doing a good job, then come along and tell them they're doing a good job. And if they deserve some extra time off, then give them some time off. And if you're wondering if you should give them a bonus or not, then give them a bonus. Just do little things. But make sure, as an employer, that you're also using your influence to change their life spiritually. Not just making their physical needs comfortable. But I'm telling you, when you make those physical and emotional needs comfortable, it's going to open up the door for you to speak into their spirit. It's going to give you the right to share those things. It's really just about meeting the felt needs that are around you. So today, in wrapping up, you can't change your past. I know we wish we could, but we can't. You can't predict your future. But you can make Jesus... And Ebenezer at this Christmas time. That's what you can do. This is your choice now. Can't do anything about the past. Not going to be able to do a whole lot about the future. But in a few days is the day called Christmas. And right now we're in the Christmas season. You can make Jesus your stone of help. So what is it going to take for you to make that move today? What do you have to do to align yourself so that Jesus become the greatest Ebenezer of God's love in your life this Christmas. While you ponder that, why don't you stand with me in an attitude of prayer? If you would just close your eyes and bow your head in this place. I want to challenge some of you that maybe Jesus isn't the Lord and the leader of your life. I want to challenge you today, make him that. How can you do it? Surrender your life to him. Confess your sin to him. Allow him to come into your heart and be the true Lord and leader of your life. 
You can, exp- you can just do that in a moment when I pray. Others of you, what is it that God's saying to you today? How is he pulling you close to him? How does he want to be that stone of help for you? But yet you've been stubborn and independent trying to, you know, make your own stones of help. I can do this on my own. Lay that down. Lay down the independence. Lay down the pride. Lay down the, I got it all figured out. Lay down the fact that this is my 60th Christmas and I think I got this all figured out, Jeff. Thanks a lot for the good message. Lay those things down. Lay down the coldness of our hearts. The callousness of our lives. Lay down the familiarity of the fact that it's just Christmas again, 2013. It's like Christmas 2013, the present Christmas. Christmas where Jesus truly becomes a stone of help for us. That means that these altars, this front area, it's for the hungry. It's for the people that want to make Jesus the stone, the rock of their life. The rock on which they stand. I want to encourage you to do that today. This worship team is going to lead us in a few songs as they lead us. It's just an opportunity for us to express our heart of just saying, Jesus, you are my rock. You are my stone. You are my source of strength. You are the one I run to. I have nowhere else to go. You are my hope this Christmas. You are the hope of my life. You're the hope of my eternity. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for the grace you revealed to me. Let me grow cold with idols. Don't let me go cold with you know, worshiping just this world, but let my heart be warmed in worshiping you. So would you just take these few moments and let's just pray. And then let's let this worship team lead us in making Jesus a true Ebenezer. Father, thank you for your hope. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for the grace revealed through Jesus. As we stand in this room, God, we, we come from all different paradigms of life and all different types of backgrounds and scenarios and situations. And God, but we stand here with one issue on our hearts. We want to be guilty of making Christ the center of Christmas. And to do that, we have to humble ourselves. So you stir up a true passion of worship and a true hunger of worship that would cause us to seek after you today. Run after you today. Let our hearts be softened before you today. That we would simply just say yes to you, Jesus. We will follow you like the Israelites did in 1 Samuel chapter 7 as they laid down all their idols and they made you Lord and King and Master again. Lord, in doing that, you showed up in miraculous ways on their behalf. But I'll know, I know that you still work miracles like that. You'll show up in miraculous ways behalf of those that are here today hearing this message and responding with the simple word of yes Jesus yes you are my stone of help you are my Ebenezer let's worship him let's seek him today